Good afternoon, church. I'm sparing you this morning, this afternoon. We're going to sing this uh, stand up and hand clapping song, but it's too hot. <laughs> so I'm going to preach to you this morning. Amen. My name is Sean Bowen. I live in Pelham right here. And so it's really good to be speaking here today. And today, unfortunately, it's going to get a little hotter because I have some things I got to talk about. The title of my message uh, this morning, this afternoon, is, is real. And I was reminded of a lot of things today, uh, yesterday, actually, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But real. You know, you know this symbol? Usually it means real. Aren't you tired of fake stuff? Aren't you, aren't you tired of it? You know, if you travel in the, around the country, you, you drive around, you're eating fake food, you go to the microwave, putting in these pouches. I, you know, you, after a while, you get just sick of that stuff, don't you? Don't you wish you had, like, a real home? Like, after traveling, and I sit down in someone's house, I don't care what, it could be spaghetti, just to have a home-cooked meal. You know, I don't even care. It may not be one of those things that Robert Brace seal of approval is on, but, it, but it's home-cooked meal. I'm... I'm I, I need that. You know, I'm 50 years old. I grew up when stuff was still real. You know, honestly, most of the stuff that I did was real. You know, and uh, real food, you know, fast food was the exception. You know, real real games, real sports. You played hopscotch and jump rope and catchers and manhunt. All these fun things you did that were real, not Pokemon Go and Candy Crush connected to the Internet. You know, we had uh, we had real friends. We actually went to their house and played board games and did different things and talked to each other. Friends, we actually have a, a real conversation. We actually hear the other person's voice, not just texting them and emojis to see how they're doing, right? You know, I get up on my soapbox to my daughters, and sometimes I tell them, yeah, it's real stuff. And they're like, y'all invented this stuff. It's your generation that made this stuff, and, and, and that's the truth. We did make a lot of this fake stuff that they're dealing with today. But I need, I need real. You know, I need real. I go camping. I go to the beach. I love the water. I just need real. I need real friends. And, uh, you know, last night we had a great, you know, dinner in our honor because we were moving, and it was real for me. I, need, I needed that. It just reminded me of how much I need real. So today I'm going to talk about some things that, in our lives, I believe, need to be real. Amen? So the first point I have, I have a lot of points today, so you don't have to bear with me, but you're going to hear them all. Real love is my first point. And I'll say, you know, I became a disciple in New York City in campus ministry, and a lot of folks here came from campus. The first college devotion I went to was this place on Good Shepherd in 72nd Street. I went in the building. Someone had invited me, and it was... Uh, you know, it was great. It was this mixed class. It was it was fun. People were singing. And then we had this, all of a sudden, it split up into men and women. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. What is this? You know, I'm here with all these dudes I don't know. You know, we start, people like locking shoulders, and we're going to sing, and we're going to pray. And I was like, you know, I don't know. And I, I was next to this big Asian dude, and he's smiling at me. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I just felt like, you know, I came. I was at Howard University. I'm thinking, what would my Howard buddies think think about me now? I'm doing this. It's, it's kind of odd. You know, I, I felt kind of weird, but it was also kind of good. I don't know if you know what I mean. It, it really felt like I hadn't done anything like that in a long time. 
You know, I, I left the place and I was invigorated. I felt like, you know, I need more of this stuff. And I was alone in New York. None of my family lived in New York. I had a girlfriend here. I had a couple family friends, but I didn't know anybody. And so that was kind of the most real encounter I had with people for a long time. Since I was back home in, in Barbados and hanging out with my buddies, I hadn't had any feeling like that where I was, I was real, you know. I, uh, that was the first contact that I had with the kingdom of God. I didn't even know it. I walked out of there not even understanding what had just happened. And, you know, later on I got baptized. And when I, when I got, after I got baptized, I made it a point that I am going to have real friendships with people. I'm going to have real love. That's like these guys loved me. They didn't know me. But they took care of me. They, they looked after me. I said, I'm going to do the same thing. I was in medical school. And I know that building real friendships takes time and it takes effort. You know, I didn't have a lot of time, but I said, I'm going to make maximum effort. So what I would do, I would go, I would meet people, I would go to their house, I would look through their pictures with them, I would look at, you know, I would ask a thousand questions, I would talk to their family, I would, if they came from another country, I would read about their country, because I want to learn and be a good friend, and I would make maximum effort. And, you know, that was how, because I feel like that's what was done for me. I think, you know, when I, when I think about making real friendships, it's got to be about you know, me being this person's friend. It can't be just about church. I got to make real friendships. You know, even if someone doesn't want to know about Jesus, I'm going to make a friend. Because that's, that's what I'm here for. I really believe that that's what I've been put on this earth to do, is to make real friends and teach those guys about Jesus. And if they don't want to, that's fine, but I'm going to make friends. Amen? In Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? That was strange. Anyway, so the next slide is about, you know, a folk tale. This is how people think the word sincere came about. You know, people used to make vases. If they had cracks in them, they would seal them up with wax instead of making them properly. And a, a, a vase without that wax was really called sincere. It was called you know, something that didn't have the, it wasn't being hidden, it wasn't fake. It was just what it was. It was busted. It's not really the root of the word. It's a, it sounds like a real good folktale, but it's not the real root. The real root word is the next slide, which is sincerus, which means clean, pure, and sound. Clean, pure, and sound. Sometimes you have to let you know, we have to have clean, pure, and sound motives in our hearts. We have to let our motives 
you know, be seen. You know, sometimes you're trying to invite someone to church, and you're thinking about who you're inviting to church. You're thinking about numbers. You're thinking about all kinds of things about except that real love and that real friendship that you need to have for that person. And, you know, sure, you're showing love to people when you hold out the word of God to them. But without question, you, know, you need to check your heart, your motive about why you do what you do. Because that's important. Because God sees that too. You know, if you were willing to be honest with yourself, you need to realize that you have impure motives in your heart. And sometimes you're faking it. Sometimes you're putting stuff that's not really there. You're not sincere. You know, the real you is not, is not showing. And if sincerity is a standard of the relationships in the Bible that we're supposed to have with each other, there should be no other practice, not with anybody, not with anyone. You need to be sincere. You need to be who you really are. And sometimes you may need to say some things that are not, don't go over too well. But that's, that needs to be sincere. Amen? The next one I have is real fellowship. And that, next slide, Acts 2, 42 to 47. Give you a minute to get there. I don't have the, all the words up there. So you need to turn in your Bibles or in your fake Bible or your real Bible. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They broke bread and ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts. Clean, pure, sound. You know, we call this the blueprint of the church, you know, of what we want to be, have unity and fellowship but the key to real relationships is sincerity. Having a sincere heart. You know, you're not faking it. You know, we say that we are devoted to the fellowship, right? But, you know, the truth is we love our hobbies and our sports and our ESPN and our Rio Olympics. and the thing. We love those things sometimes more than we love the fellowship. Your brother wants to come over. It's like, man, the game is on. I don't know if I want to hear about this brother's struggles when the game is on. You know, you have to, sometimes these, that's, that's real. You know, those things get in the way of us really being devoted to one another sometimes. You know, stupid stuff, our own, our own things, not spiritual things, but very worldly things. But that's, that's how we really are. And I think that in order to be devoted to the fellowship, that's a high calling. If you want to say you're devoted, then you need to be devoted. It's hard. It's hard. We sacrifice in order to be devoted to the fellowship. You know, if you come to church and you just sit there and you don't sacrifice, you're not getting, God is not blessing you the way you you really could be blessed. You know, if you are not giving from your heart, you know, if you're not serving one another, you just sit there on the bench, that's not, you're, you're missing out. Because this, this is, how it's, this is what makes it real. You know, you, giving, that sacrifice is what, is what makes it real. You're not, re, you're not receiving all the things that God has in store for you. You know, God wants you to love his people. You know, you may not get the thank yous and the accolades. People may not tell you how awesome you are, but God sees that. And, you know, when you do that, 
he rewards you by molding you into being more like his son. And that's what happens when you do things God's way, when you fellowship, when you're devoted to the fellowship. Now, I cannot even understand, I can't even speak about what this fellowship means to me. You don't, you, I don't think you understand how powerful this fellowship is, and it has been in my life. I became a husband. I became a doctor. I became a father right here. You know, it shaped my life. And I've been taught things. I mean, I mean really taught. Taught by my peers, taught by older men, you know, taught by my, my sisters in the church, taught by my, my kids, my own kids. And I mean basic things. I'm not even getting highfalutin spiritual things. This is ba- I've been taught how to dress. I've been taught, I remember Dave Martin telling me I need to go take a shower when I come home from playing tennis because my wife don't want to smell me funky in the house. I mean, that's a little embarrassing, but I, I had to be taught some things. I mean, I had to be taught to get flowers for my wife, you know, and think about her that way. I had to be taught with dating, you know, teaching me how to speak in front of people, teaching me how to lead a discussion, teaching me how to talk to people in the street, because Lord knows I didn't want to do that, talk to people in the street, how to stand in front of the pulpit, not hold on for dear life and <laughs> swing it around. I had to be taught those things. You know, how to, how to lead a song. I mean, honestly, I've been taught how to lead a song. Not that I have the talent to lead singing, but, I, you know, but I've been taught. I've been taught how to confess my sin and confess my lust and, you know, and just get that stuff out there. I've been taught how to stand up to persecution. My brother Garth Oliver taught me how to stand up to persecution, how to bend down and help others. I remember walking down the street with Sean Barnes from Trinidad. He's in Queens now. And we were late going somewhere, and this older white man was walking by disoriented. And Sean stopped, found out where he wanted to go. I mean, we were going to be late. He took forever talking to this guy, found out, pointed him in the right direction. And I walked away thinking, man, he doesn't know this guy from Adam. And he spent all this time to take care of him. You know, I was taught how to bend down and help others, how to persevere under trial. You know, men like Danny and Lou Bonilla and his wife going through things for long periods of time, struggling, how to persevere under trial, how to be a father to my kids. Sam Powell, Kevin Fandy have taught me so much about how to be a father to my kids and my peers. You know, I've been to all these things in this fellowship. Kenny was talking about that today. Where else are you going to get this stuff? You know, I have so much more than all my friends. Honestly, I have friends who grew up with their parents intact. Everything was great. They don't have half of what I have been taught. They haven't taught, been taught these things. They really, they've been taught a lot, but they haven't been taught what I've been taught. It's amazing. You know, and that, that is this fellowship. You know, I still mess up a lot, but I don't know what would happen to me if I didn't have this stuff. I really don't. You know, the other day I was at uh, work, and they were, I was le- I'm leaving my job, so they were talking about uh, how good a job I was doing and the things, ways I was able to connect people at my work site and lead the team. And they were like, uh, it must be the tennis coaching that helps you to do all this stuff because we don't know, nobody else can do this stuff. I'm like, no. You don't understand. It's the Lord and the fellowship that taught me this stuff. That's why I'm able to be excellent at my job. 
And, you know, and for many of us, that is true. The reason why you're excellent at your job is because of stuff you learned right here. It wasn't your job training. You know, there's something you need to realize about this world. And the world teaches you. The world is a great teacher, but it also cuts you up. You know, you think that you're moving forward, but you've been sliced and diced so much that, you know, you just, it weakens you until you eventually collapse. It's like you're walking past and a ninja just chops you up. And you keep walking and all of a sudden you fall apart. It's like you don't even realize you've been slain. But you, it's, it's, what, it's what the world does to you. It cuts you. You just, you just bleed out. You don't make it because it's not, it's not giving you the things that you really need. You know, that's what my life felt like without God. You know, I, I was very naive. I really wanted things to be great. But the more I live in this world, the more I became jaded, disappointed, you know, in myself. I'm doing the same stuff that I was complaining about that other people did, you know. Things I believed about people and about God just became less and less real. In fact, it seemed like a lie. You know, but when Jesus searches for us and he finds us, he brings us an opportunity to be protected from this world. And under his protection, we're able to grow strong. We're able to, he's, he provides an armor and a shield for us to grow up under. And it's amazing how you can grow when God is protecting you. In Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 8, it says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful one. You know, he is a shield to us. He holds success in store for us. He guards us and he protects us. You know, this is what God does for us. When you're in this fellowship, this is what God does for you. You have to understand that. This is real. Next slide. You know, I grew up in a place where they had, you know, prevailing winds like this. There's a place called Bashi, but I love to go. And trees, they're not quite this extreme, but the trees are blown over to one side. I don't know if you live in places that you've seen trees like this before where, you know, they're supposed to be straight, but they're like this. It's because the wind is blowing nonstop and just blows them till they have to grow in this fashion. And, uh, you know, I think when you don't have any protection from the wind like these trees, you start to become stunted and tough, and you assume an unnatural shape. You know, as you, you might agree, this is probably not the natural shape that you would expect for a tree, right? You know, and I think as men and women, we become the same way. We become stunted emo- emotionally, socially, spiritually. We don't trust people. We have little faith in God. You know, and sometimes we try hard to fix things ourselves. In the next slide. We put up stuff to try to make it better for ourselves. We try to shield our own self. But you know what? It doesn't usually work that well. May get a little better. Doesn't really work. Sometimes we, we do go to the extreme. In the next slide. Just block out everything. Just hide away from everything. 
you know, we try to shut everything out that we don't want, that we don't need. But see, God knows what ex- we need exactly. You know, I, I learned something about trees. I was reading about this stuff, and I, you know, I was going to share something with you that I learned. But I learned about trees. And I'm going to read you something. It says, the role of wind in a tree's life. It says, remember the biosphere. This is a biosphere. It's like an organic little environment, a miniature version of our planet, now owned by the University of Arizona, constructed for scientists to study how the plant living, plant's living systems actually work. It says, learnings from this tiny planet enabled scientists to innovate and come up with new ideas related to the growth of plants. Or that's what they thought when they planned to make the biosphere. The major discovery from it was something they had never expected. The most interesting thing they learned from it was the importance of wind in a plant's life. Who would have thought? In the biosphere, too, they had trees growing faster than they would grow in the wild. Also, they found that these trees wouldn't completely mature. Before they could, they they used to collapse. Later, it was found that this was caused by the lack of wind in the biosphere. As it turns out, wind plays a major role in a tree's life. The presence of wind makes a tree stronger. It is thus able to mature and not fall down due to its own weight. When plants and trees grow in the wild, the wind constantly keeps them moving. This causes a stress in the wooden load-bearing structure of the tree. So to compensate, the tree manages to grow something called the reaction wood or stress wood. This stress wood usually has a different structure and is more able to position the tree where it gets the best light or other optimum resources. This is the reason why trees are able to contort towards the best light and still survive loads, even in awkward shapes. A contorted building like that would easily fall, but the tree is able to grow in a more solid manner, thanks to the reaction wood. If there's no wind, the trees end up being much weaker and aren't able to survive for long. This happens in homes, too. Plants grown indoors without any kind of wind hitting them on a regular basis tend to become weak. So before they're planted outside in wild conditions, their structure has to be strengthened. Remember, stress is what makes a tree strong enough to sustain the wear and tear that it faced later in life. You know, that's a lesson, right? There's a whole other sermon in there about trees. The tree needs a wind to survive. I wouldn't have guessed that. But I believe in the same way we need life's challenges to develop properly. You know, we can't cut ourselves out of life we ha- and just avoid things. We need the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we need it in the right doses. You know, I believe there's a lesson for ourselves and also for our kids. That's a whole nother lesson for our kids. I do, however, believe that we need protection. And the next slide. It says, there's another thing, a study. It says, during storms, there's a critical wind speed of about 90 miles an hour at which almost all tree trunks break, irrespective of their size or species, according to a new study in France. And some of us want to be lone rangers. We want to be out there on our own, preaching by ourselves. We're, you know, we're, we're our own church. We're strong. We don't need to hide in the fellowship. We don't need to cry to anybody. We don't need to confess our sins to anybody. You know, we, we're battling all by ourselves. And, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You can't win that battle. You know, you can't battle the enemy alone. That's why Jesus, from the beginning, he brought us together. He put the church together. He brought, he didn't have to, Jesus didn't need a whole lot of people, but he made those guys stay together. You know, he called us together to be unified. He wants everybody at the table. You know, he wants us to fellowship. The Bible says he wants to gather us like a hand gathers chicks under her wing. 
He wants to protect us. He wants us to be together when he's doing that. That's what this is. That's why we need to be here. We need to be protected from this. We can't handle this. This is what's out there. It, we will break. And no matter how strong you think you are. You know, it's... Next slide. I want to show you what... This is what a tree looks like. In, it's in the middle of the forest. Nice and tall. You know, this is what God wants us to look like. Under God's protection, we can grow straight and tall. He uses his kingdom and the fellowship so that we can grow to be the men and women that we're supposed to be in his eyes. In Psalm 92, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. You know, our destiny changes when we remain in God. He knows exactly how much and what we need. You know, we don't know that. When we remain in him, we, became, we stay true and sincere. We will grow and bear fruit, and he will allow us to live a rich and a full life. Amen? The next point is real worship. You guys still with me? All right. Real worship. In John 4, 23 to 24, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, when I look up, I looked up like real worship on the Internet. I'm trying to see if they had some sort of what that would look like. And, you know, of course, you see all these pictures of stadiums of people with their cell phones and everyone's waving from side to side. And, you know, like, like that's real worship. I mean, that, may, that sounds exciting, but I'm not, I'm not like, like Dave Martin said, I'm not convinced of that exactly. I think the word real in real worship is a little bit more important than just, you know, whatever worship that might be. You know, real Real is hard. So, church, I'm going to be real with you. It's sometimes at church, I am so in my own head that it takes a while for what's being said to even make it into my heart. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what? what? It's like, what, what are they talking about? The singing helps me a bit to get my heart where it needs to be so that I can, I can hear what's being said. And that's my commercial for you. Don't just come to church. Prepare yourself to come to church. You know, don't rush right out of here struggling. Sit down. All right, I'm ready. You're not ready. You know, go pray. You know, listen to some music. Get your your heart prepared so when you come in here, you can get something out of church rather than just sitting here waiting for it to be over. It's it's hard, you know, but that's that's me. That's That's my commercial. Pray before you come to church. So if I'm being real, I've got to talk to you about me. You know, I don't always want to hear the message. Sometimes I just want to get through service, still feeling good enough about myself that I don't have to change anything. So I don't get convicted enough that I have to say, you know, man, I really have to do something. So I pass my test. Phew! You know, my attitude can be head, no heart. 
You know, I'm intellectually and justifying myself why I don't have to bring any books for the backpack drive for hope. I'm saying, you know, why I don't have to write down that prayer request. You know, they're all writing it down. I don't have to write it down. You know, just being real. Why why don't we want to hear Derek Clay preaching about contribution? I don't want to hear that. You know? Why don't having much in common with that goody two-shoes preach up there preaching about how awesome his life and his, his family is? Because I don't feel that way sometimes. You know, I hope there's no Bible talk leading to meeting this, 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 this week. I hope there's none. You know? That's real. I mean, these are real things inside my head. I'm thinking. I'm sitting in church. This is what I'm thinking. You know, I am selfish. I am selfish, Sean. You know, this is my worship. That's what I really am like. In fact, it gets worse. It gets worse. No, but nobody's going to know that if I get up here and just preach the word and, you know, act like everything's fine. You know, I need to open my heart so men and women know what I'm really like. You know, I, I hear lots of great things about myself, you know, from other people, but that's not, the people who know me know that that's not always true. And they can testify to that. And sometimes I think, to, I wonder why they even ask me to come here and, and speak sometimes. I'm like, why are you asking me to speak? And I, now that I've been in church long enough, I realize that, None of these other guys are any better either. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just real. That's how we are. We cannot escape it. You know, so we must admit it and be sincere, cle- clean, pure, and sound. Sometimes I'm in love with God. Sometimes I feel distant. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to honor him. I don't want to do anything. You know, I know my heart's not right. I know I need to change. I know that the power is within my grasp to do that. But it's a battle to change, isn't it? Your enemy is intent on keeping you from changing. He opposes us, and we have to be ready to fight. Church, are you ready to fight? So my next point is real battle. Yeah, next slide. So this scripture you know, in Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, I was talking to a good brother in my men's class last week. We have a great men's class. And I, see, I feel like sometimes I'm in la-la land until there's a battle. You know, I don't really feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden something hits me, and i got to fight. Because like I don't know how to operate out of survival mode. You know, unless I'm in survival mode and I'm, ah, then, I, you know, I don't know what to do after that. You know, I'm sitting around kind of waiting for the next battle, and I'm not doing much. And I realized that, you know, when I, when I first became a Christian in New York, you know, New York was a little bit less civilized. You younger folks. New York is pretty civilized now. I mean, bad stuff happens, but New York was really uncivilized back in the day. I mean, it was, it was ugly. I mean, I, my daughters go down to Times Square, and I'm thinking, Times Square? You would, I wouldn't be caught dead down there after a certain time. I mean, I might be dead, but, <laughs> but that was it. I wouldn't be down there. But it's, it's, you know, 
it was ugly, and I felt I was young, things were uncertain. I, I just was in the battle all the time. But I feel like lately, you know, I'm getting soft. You know, I'm not used to being challenged like that anymore. I'm not used to being challenged by other men, even telling me things I should do or change. I don't hear from you guys enough about stuff I need to do or change. You know, I'm not used to having my plan squashed. So what I do is I, I have my plan A, and then I make up my own plan B. So the plan A doesn't work out. I'm not disappointed. You know, I got a way so that I don't have to struggle too bad. So I said, I don't even ask God about the plan B. I just do it. And I tell myself, you know, it's not worth it to risk everything. You know, I don't know if you can relate to that. But I lower my expectations so that I won't have so many problems. I won't have so many struggles. And that's pervasive in my life. You know, I've, I've lowered my expectations of ministry. If I have a Bible study every couple of months, yeah, that's good. That's, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm good. If I talk to someone about God when, when the moment comes up, then that's amen. That's great. I'm doing all right. If I don't plan to do anything for God in particular, I'll just let whatever opportunity comes to me, I'll just take it, and amen. But what about loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength? And next slide, in Luke 10, it says in verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do we really try our best, or are we just looking at each other's examples? When is the last time that you try to be your best for God? I will try to do everything well. I will serve well, fellowship well, sacrifice well, give well, lead well. I will read my Bible well. I will pray well. When is the last time you made a plan to do something that's going to make God's kingdom great? When's the last time you had that desire to do great things for the Lord? To love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is not a suggestion. He asked, what is the greatest command? You know, if you don't think Jesus is serious about this, try to follow in his steps. Try to do what he did. And you will know he's serious about this. It is a battle for us to change. We are fighting spiritually and we need firepower. You know, David was a warrior. You know, he was skilled at using the weapons that man had designed. But he knew it was God that really had the firepower. He's real with God in his prayers. And I want you to read in Psalm 5. This is what he says. You turn there. It says, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, you, you Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. 
You surround them with your favor as with a shield. You know, David's Psalms are great because they are real. He is struggling. He's in the battle. He's not neutral. He hates his enemy. You can hear it. He wants them gone. He's telling God, take them out. You know, I mean, we can pretend that we are holier than David, right? We say, oh, love your enemies, Lord. But you know what? He's being honest about what's in his heart. He's being honest. You know, I feel that way too sometimes. You know, I, I need to just say it in prayer. You know, that's when your Christianity gets real. You know, when the real ugly you comes out. Now, I'm not righteous. I hate stuff. I hate people. I get discouraged. I get sad. I get disappointed. You know, I, all those things are real. But if I act like, you know, I'll just be right. No, I need to. God knows who I am. I don't need to pretend with God. This is what your prayer needs to be. This is the battle that we need to be in. You know, but David always ends his psalms, but there is hope. There is justice in God. He will protect those who put their trust in him as with a shield. Are you being real with God? Are you trying to take the sins of the world on your own back? Really? Are you just loading on? Some of us do that. Do you really want justice? Are you going to settle for your plan B and be content because it's easier? You know, some of us, we have great things that we are putting before God and we back away from it because it's too hard. Because we don't want to fight for it. We don't want to pray for it. And we accept the plan that we made up in our own heads that God doesn't even really want to bless. He wants to bless plan A. But we won't even bring it to him. We won't even ask him anymore. Because we're afraid. You know, I believe that God wants us to pray for what we want. And that was David's heart. He, was, he had the heart of a child. He was a man after God's own heart. Own heart. But he had the heart of a child. He was like, give it to me. I want it. Do you want it? You know, you've got to fight for it if you want it. You've got to ask him for it if you want it. You know, I need the battle. My sinful nature, I need, I need to battle Satan. But I can't do it on my own. My weapons don't work. I want you to look at the next slide. You know, if I need to make sure that I'm giving the battle to God, I need to expect victory only if I give the battle to God. Amen. So, victory. So I left up my scripture here. In Job chapter 11, you know, it says, you know, real victory can only come about when you stop thrashing about yourself and let God, and you let God fight for you. You know, you can't be trying to fight and God fighting too. You got to lay down your feeble weapons and put your trust in God. You know, Gordon Ferguson, one of my favorite preachers, he wrote this book called The Victory of Surrender. I'm going to read you the introduction. It says, surrender equals victory. Let go and let God. Simply stated, this means we give up the emotional control of our lives and everything about them. It does not mean that we no longer think or feel or have preferences, but it does mean that we end up facing all experiences with the same heart Jesus expressed when he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. We think we plan, but we emotionally surrender the final outcome to God. We count the cost by looking at the most extreme possible outcome and then accept it in advance with our hearts in case it ends up being his will. We pray for what we judge to be the best scenario, but we're willing to accept the worst scenario if necessary. Most of us are not faced with having to accept a grievous outcome. God is full of grace, 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve, and he often delivers us from the object of our fears. He's unquestionably on our side always, having our very best interests on his heart. But only he is God, understanding our nature and the nature of the spiritual battle. Life is not easy, and it always ends in death. Therefore, we must be prepared to face some intense situations during our sojourn on earth. Only one path is open to us if we desire to please God and live without being consumed with fear and anxiety, and that is surrender. You know, sometimes we surrender, we put our hands up, but it's like in those movies when the guy puts his hands up, he's got a gun in his boot, he's got two knives up his sleeves and an M16 strapped to his back. You know, we really don't like surrender. You know, most of us, we for the Bronx. Only the strong survive, right? You know, we can't fool God. He knows our hearts. He knows when we're holding back. You know, there are people in this room who are holding back from surrendering everything to God. It prevents us from having real victory in our lives. In the book of Job, you know, in Job 11, it says, you know, his friend, though Job went through a lot. His friends weren't necessarily right about him, but they sure laid down some wisdom from God in their comments. And this is one of them. In Job 11, 13 to 20, it says, Surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge, and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. You will sleep without fear and be greatly respected. But those who are evil will go blind and lose their way. Their only escape is death. Can you imagine not being ashamed? Being fearless, being confident. Troubles go away. Darkness becomes light. Filled with hope. Emptied of worry. I love that. Only God can fashion this type of victory. You know, we have to accept the real truth of who we are before God before we can have a victory. If you've been a Christian for a while, if you're studying the Bible, God is showing you the truth. It is the truth that will set you free. We need real in our lives. We need real victory, real battles, real worship, real fellowship, real love. You know, as I conclude, I'm going to read you a prayer from Psalm 20 that sums up my wishes for this church in Lower Westchester. You guys are my family. I want you to hear Psalm 20. It says, and this is from my heart to you, Lower Westchester. It says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Amen. Lord Westchester, I love you. Thank you for being real with me and my family. And I appreciate you. To God be the Lord. Amen.